The following sermon was delivered by Associate Pastor Werner Ramirez during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Reverend Ramirez. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, May you speak to our hearts, our soul, and our minds. Reveal yourself. Remove me if you need to. In your name we pray, amen. Friends, a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting at verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spent." Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. About 28 years ago, in August of 1991, I did not know that my family and I were moving to the United States from Guatemala. I remember my tia Lili taking us to the airport, and she was crying. My parents told me we were going on vacations, and as a five-year-old, I remember thinking, well, that's really weird. Why is my tia Lili crying? We'll be back in two weeks. What I also didn't know was that Guatemala was in the midst of a civil war, And my dad worked for a Christian organization that helped the poor and indigenous people of Guatemala with food, money, and education. Education was key because companies like United Fruit were trying to take their land. So when my dad and others attempted to do justice, the powers that be saw that as a threat and did what they could to stop it, including death threats. In the midst of this, one day my dad noticed a man following him everywhere he went. And he knew that his life was in serious danger. So while that was happening, my dad feared that our phone lines were tapped. 
So very secretly, we left for the United States three days later. In fact, nobody knew we were coming. My cousin who lived in California got a phone call that simply said, go to the international terminal at LAX. You will find some people there. And she found my parents, my one-year-old sister, and five-year-old Warner. With no warning at all, we were there. My tia Dalila, her husband, my uncle Jack, and my grandma, they took us in. We stayed in their home, they fed us, they helped my parents get jobs and vehicles to get around, and they were absolutely gracious to us. Yes, we were family, but this was a different type of hospitality than just, yes, drop by for dinner sometime. This was a long-term stay, and it would shake their comfortability and the way they lived. We didn't know any English at the time, and my Uncle Jack didn't know any Spanish except for the bad words. <laughs> but I knew that the language barrier was frustrating for him because he did want to communicate with us. I remember one day he took, us, he took me out to breakfast, just him and me, and I didn't speak any English, but looking back on it, I think he really wanted to spend some quality time with me, but I was scared of him. I was living in his house, and he was kind of a grumpy old man, and I couldn't talk with him, so we ate, and I don't remember the conversation, but I could tell that he was proud that he took me out to breakfast. And how do I repay him? By throwing up all over his car. <laughs> Friends, radical hospitality is not easy. It can feel intrusive. It is uncomfortable. And you think you're doing it right, and then all of a sudden, a five-year-old is throwing up in your car. Yet that is exactly what my tia Dalila, my uncle Jack, and my grandma did. They showed us radical hospitality, and little by little, the grumpy old man wasn't just a grumpy old man, but he became my uncle Jack. He loved us people who were strangers at first that turned into family. In the passage before us, we see a parable of an act of radical hospitality and where a stranger sees a person half dead on the road and has compassion and acts on his behalf. But it begins with a lawyer, a scribe testing Jesus with a question. The lawyer asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this lawyer is not asking out of curiosity or wanting to hear Jesus in order so he can learn and live better. He's asking Jesus to test him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the scriptures, we rarely see Jesus actually answer a question. Jesus usually responds with either a question back or in a parable, a story with a hidden meaning that piques curiosity to make the people want to know more. And here Jesus responds with a question back. You're a lawyer. What does it say in the scriptures? What does it say in the law? What have you read? And the lawyer responds from both Deuteronomy and Leviticus and says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer gets the answer right. And Jesus says, that's correct. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer is not satisfied with that answer. Again, he wants to test Jesus. He really wants to examine him. And he thinks that Jesus' answer is too vague. So wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And like I said, Jesus rarely answers a question with an actual answer. 
And this is not like a presidential debate when somebody asks a great question and the candidate tries to avoid the question by telling a story. No, this is different. Instead, Jesus tells a story that gives meaning, that brings out empathy, and sometimes reveals that the question the people are asking are the wrong questions. So here, the lawyer, trying to justify himself, asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this parable that many of you know oh so well, the parable of the good Samaritan. He tells the story of a man that's going down to Jerusalem from Jericho, a very steep road that drops about 1,500 feet with bends around a corner where robbers can easily hide and steal from travelers going down the road. And that's exactly what happens to this man. He is beaten, stripped, and left half dead. And he's lying on the road, and a priest, somebody like me, sees him. And we don't know why, but he crosses to the other side and leaves him for dead. Then likewise, a Levite, who would have many religious duties, maybe like an elder, also sees him and passes by on the other side. And then we have it, the hero of the story, the Good Samaritan. When we think of the Good Samaritan, we often forget how controversial Jesus is with this story. Jewish people and Samaritan people do not like each other. Jewish people saw them as vile people because they intermarried with people that oppressed them and put them into exile. They still worshiped the same God, but they practiced differently. There were many differences. They did not like each other. So Jesus says, a Samaritan saw him, and he was moved to pity. And I want you to think about the lawyer right now as he's hearing this story. Imagine his face turning red with anger just from hearing the word Samaritan. This Samaritan saw him and was moved to pity and does not cross to the other side like the other two religious men did, but instead bandages up his wounds, puts him on his own animal, probably meaning that he's now walking the rest of the way, takes him to an inn, and takes care of him for the night. Now let's pause real quick to process all that is happening. The lawyer and the people hearing this parable are assuming that the man left for dead is Jewish. The priest and the Levite for some reason pass by on the other side. But the Samaritan, the person who is supposed to hate him, is moved to pity. He crosses the barriers of hatred, racism, and prejudice just to be merciful. To clean him up and to take care of him. Furthermore, this Samaritan takes about two days' wages and tells the innkeeper to continue to take care of him. And if it costs more than that, well, then I'll come back and pay the rest. This is the story Jesus tells when the lawyer is testing Jesus and says, who is my neighbor? So Jesus asked the lawyer, which one of these was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer, still red in the face, says, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Instead, he simply says, the one who had mercy. And Jesus, in the most epic drop of a mic, says, go and do likewise. I want you to take a moment and think to yourself, who is your other? For some of you, your other might be the conservative right that only care about themselves. And some of you, it might be the people on the left 
always wanting something for free. Or there might be some, some of you who have something against somebody from a different religion or a different denomination or a different way of thinking in general. So I ask you, who is your other? Why are they your other? What are the things that divide you? But what if we hear their stories? And what if we hear their stories and see their pain and we are moved towards empathy? In this story, we see a Samaritan moved to pity when he sees the pain and hurt of someone who he would consider an other. The priest and the Levite moved to the other side and we don't know why. Perhaps because it was against their purity code by touching somebody who was bleeding or appeared to be dead. Or maybe they just didn't care. We don't know why they passed by on the other side, but we do know why the Samaritan does. Because he sees him and he's moved towards pity, towards empathy. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Often when hearing sermons on this passage, we are told to be like the Good Samaritan. And we are told that we're often like the priest and the Levite, not willing to help. But I want to say that we're more often like the lawyer. We know what is right. We know that we should be hospitable. But we just don't want to do that for our other. And instead of actually doing something about it, we ask clarifying questions like, who is my neighbor? We want to put people in a category of who deserves our help and who does not deserve our help. Like the lawyer, we want to make clarifications instead of obeying and following Christ. And this is so apparent in today's culture. The church is guilty of being the lawyer who uses theological debates of who is my neighbor to avoid obedience. It seems that the Christian church would rather debate these ideas instead of moving towards hospitality. We see some within the church that will create arguments against white immigrants and refugees, the LBGTQ committee, or whoever the other may be, of why they're technically not our neighbor. And then you'll have people on the other side debating why they are our neighbor. And in the midst of this, nobody is actually doing anything. We rather debate and ask for clarifying questions of what it means to be hospitable instead of actually being hospitable. Jesus in this parable never answers the lawyer's question of who is my neighbor. Jesus turns that question upside down with this parable and instead says, who was a neighbor? The one who had mercy. For Jesus, it's not about who is worthy of receiving it, but who can offer it. There is a humanitarian organization out in Tucson, Arizona called No Mas Muertes. In English, that is translated to No More Deaths. They began in 2004 as a community of faith who noticed the rapid amounts of deaths happening in the deserts from immigrants who had crossed the border. The blazing heat is deadly for many immigrants. Yet for those who choose to take the trek, it is a risk that they take. And some underestimate the hike and the heat and many die of dehydration. No More Deaths saw a problem of people dying and decided to address that by hiking into the desert and leaving behind water, food, and clothes, like you see in the cover of your bulletin. They have literally saved the lives of many people. Yet many people have accused this organization of encouraging illegal immigration, 
But no more deaths has refuted that claim and has been consistent in their goal and mission, that they just simply don't want to see any more people from people dying. In the parable, we see the priest and the Levite that don't help because they notice the man bleeding, and their law prohibited them to touch the man that was bleeding. It was unclean to do so. And similarly, there have been people who have been trying to stop no more deaths and their mission because they see the people on the other side of the desert as unclean because they don't have the proper documentation. There's been evidence of authorities vandalizing and destroying the water and food left for others. On January 17th, the day that this picture was taken, eight of their volunteers were charged with different federal misdemeanors, like entering a wildlife refuge without a permit. Additionally, a ninth volunteer, ASU professor Scott Warren, who saw some people in need and helped them with food and clothing, was charged with a felony charge of harboring an undocumented immigrant. The debate in court was this. Had Warren acted on basic human kindness, providing only the necessities enabling migrants to survive, as his lawyer contended? Or had he had aided and abetted those making a mockery of the nation's immigration law, as the prosecutor said? A hung jury did not convict Warren this past June. But early last week, prosecutors have started their intents to retry Scott Warren for an eight-day trial in November. If convicted, Warren faces 10 years in prison. Since Scott's Warren's arrest, at least 88 bodies were recovered from the Arizona desert. I tell you this story about people dying, about people leaving water, about people destroying water, about arrests and lawyers and prosecutors. And I asked the same question that Jesus asked the lawyers in this parable. Which of these do you think was a neighbor to the downtrodden? So the question for you, for us, is what kind of people are we going to be? Are we going to be the kind of church that makes clarifications and debates on who we are going to be hospitable to? Or are we just going to do it? And I'm not saying that by doing this, it will fix everything that divides us. At the end of the parable, yes, the Samaritan had mercy on the Jewish traveler, but there is still tension between these people groups. But perhaps in inviting and welcoming people who are, who are our other, maybe we will be moved to empathy. And perhaps the Holy Spirit might do amazing things for healing and reconciliation. And yes, that will take time. And yes, it is not easy. And yes, there might be a five-year-old who throws up in your car. Or tough conversations about differences will be had and feelings will get hurt. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. And for some of you, that might be too hard. But I challenge you, whether here at church or at home, instead of asking who is your neighbor, just go and do it. Be a neighbor. Pray to God and work with God on how you can do that. My Uncle Jack didn't ask clarifying questions like, how long are they staying? Why are they coming? Do they have proper documentation? He just welcomed us in. And it was tough. It was uncomfortable. But he was a neighbor to us. In fact, he became family. The word hospitality in Greek is philoxenia, which means love of the stranger. My Uncle Jack had philoxenia for us. 
Although family by law, we were strangers at first. But his hospitality, his philoxenia, his love for the stranger turned him into family. He could have had xenophobia, the opposite, fear or hatred of the stranger. And if that were the case, I don't think I would be up here today. So friends, I pray that the God who welcomes you along with all people of the world, I pray that God gifts you with the heart of compassion, the heart of empathy, the heart of hospitality, the heart of philoxenia. May you go and be a neighbor. Amen. Friends, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And here's the good news. God loves you and you do not have to do it alone. Go and be a neighbor with the love of Christ, with the love of God who does that with you. Friends, you are loved. Amen. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you. We hope this sermon has been meaningful to you and provided a message of hope, encouragement, and good news. If you are in New York City, we invite you to visit our historic church and join us for worship. You will find our address, worship calendar, and other information on our website, fapc.org. If you would like to help support this audio ministry, please text the dollar amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646 491 83 Again, that is the amount of your gift, followed by the word sermons, to 646-491-8331. Thank you.